Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Today, the discussion centers on Israel, the U.S., and the body of Christ. And now let's join the conversation. Actually, it's our debut episode of this podcast. Uh, myself, Bob Duco, with Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, John Rush. Uh, gentlemen, how are you? Good, Bob. Hi, Bob. Yeah, yeah I'm looking it. forward to this. This is this is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be really informative. And yeah, I, I'm thinking to myself, it kind of reminds me a little bit of The View. I mean, it's scary. You know, four guys Whoa. sitting around talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, no. do we want to do we want to rock scissors paper? Who gets to be Whoopi? Who gets to be Joy Behar? No thanks. You guys, you guys go first. That's fine. Yeah, right. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Actually, there, there's three big things that separate us from the gals on the View. I'm thinking number one. Well, we're men. All right. Number two. We're believers in Christ. And number three, we're going to be not wrong about everything we talk about pretty much. So, <laughs> other than those three things, I would say it's just like, uh, it's just like the exactly. gals. Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to, we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of different issues on this podcast every week, this roundtable podcast. And there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in culture and news and politics and the body of Christ and and many different issues that, that we're going to be exploring. And, and so this week, what we're going to talk about is Israel, uh, specifically Israel, the United States, and the body of Christ. Because as you folks know, Israel's been very much in the news over the course of the last couple of weeks, you have this political thing going on with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, which, by the way, is from my state of Michigan, uh, and Ilhan Omar being denied entrance into Israel. And then, of course, they hold this press conference earlier this week, and Rashida Tlaib is all teary-eyed about, oh, she wanted to see her grandmother and and such. And it's interesting to me to see the things that the media conveniently leaves out of this story. You know, like, like, for example, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, they were invited to go to Israel a couple of weeks ago with a delegation of over 70 United States Congress people, and they chose not to go so that they could wait and go just by themselves last week on Friday. And it's clear that this was a propaganda move on their part. They wanted to stir up dissension against Israel, cause trouble over there, promote the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. So I think personally that Israel was right to say, no, we're not going to let you come in and do that. And then on top of this, for Rashida Tlaib to then use her grandmother as a political prop to try to say, well, I just want to come into Israel for humanitarian reasons to visit my 99-year-old grandmother. Personally, I think she had no intention of going over there. She was hoping that Israel would still say no then she'd be able to go to the media and say, look how cruel Israel is. They won't even let me visit my dying grandmother. But Israel didn't take the bait. They said, yeah, sure, you can come in and visit your grandmother as long as you agree not to do all your boycotting stuff. And then she said, ah, never mind. So to me, there's a lot of dirty, nasty politics playing into this whole thing. But frankly, I support Israel's decision not to let them come in and uh, push a bunch of anti-Israel propaganda. I just kind of want to throw it out on the table to everybody. 
I absolutely agree, Bob, with what you're saying, especially because there's there's such a, a lack of precedent here for Israel to do something like this unjustly. I mean, the reality is you've got a woman here. Well, all of the Congress people who came, as you duly noted, a couple of weeks before, 70 plus Republicans and Democrats alike, all of them had to submit kind of an itinerary. This is where we're going to go. We're going to meet right. with delegates of the Knesset and everything like that. There was nothing in the Omar or Tlaib documentation, dossiers, if you will, that even indicated grandma at the first point. They weren't going to meet with the members of the Knesset. It was purely political. Everyone knew it. So why the American media takes the bait and says, oh, poor these poor women, they're being discriminated against, and this is so terrible and so horrible. It really doesn't take more than three clicks on your computer to figure out what's really going on here, as you've duly noted. Right. Oh, I know. And you think about it, too. She even, in their itinerary, said that it was Palestine that they were visiting. They didn't even say they were visiting Israel. It was Palestine, which, of course, is kind of the wink-wink language that the people use who say that they don't believe Israel should have a right to exist. So, to me, this was pretty transparent what they were trying to pull off. And, Roger, I know you were, you know, you were alluding to this, but keep in mind, and I think it's something that we as Christians need to realize on an ongoing basis, is the news media you know, has an agenda. You know, they are literally, and, and this is proven, they are literally controlled and run by the left. Every single thing they want the public to know, I believe, is filtered through the media in a very purposeful manner. And, and we all know that. And, and I think it's our duty to make sure that other people know that. So they're, as they're talking around the water cooler throughout the day, they've got the ability to have, you know, armed, if you would, with the right information so they can counter some of what the news media is talking about. Right. No, I'll tell you, I, I could not agree more, which, which is really troubling if you think about it, because these women, it's not just that they support the BDS movement. I mean, think about how anti-Semitic their comments have been. Both of them believe that Israel shouldn't even exist, doesn't even have a right to exist. Right. Uh, right. Rashida Tlaib said that the Holocaust gives me, quote, a calming feeling. And then trying to claim that the Palestinians were actually protecting the Jews during the Holocaust, but a calming feeling? You know, this Rashida Tlaib, she wrote a column for Louis Farrakhan's blog. Louis Farrakhan, who caused Jews termites, who caused them Satan, who said, quote, Hitler was a very great man. Rashida Tlaib writes a column for his blog? And then you get Ilhan Omar saying Israel's been hypnotized by the world, the, uh, accusing Jews an APEC of illegally bribing Republicans to support Israel, saying it's all about the Benjamin's babies, uh, Benjamin's baby, mocking a professor who spoke of Al-Qaeda in a negative tone, saying, well, you know, you don't talk about America or army with the same tone that you say Al-Qaeda, referring to 9-11 as some people did something, end quote. I mean, th these are really horrific positions that they hold. And, you know, John, you're so right. The media doesn't hold them accountable for this. No reporters challenge them on this, and that's why I think it's important for all of us, especially as as believers in Christ, to to get this information out, this anti-Israel sentiment that seems to be growing and approved by the media. Well, Bob, and I'm sure you guys heard this, was you know President Trump's comments yesterday, which, by the way, the media took one line out of that and literally took it out of context, as you all know from reading what he said prior to the one line where he said that if you're basically a, you know, basically what he said is if you're a Jew and you vote Democrat, you know, you're basically, you know, denying 
you know, everything that's going on in Israel. And, mm -hmm. and you're, you're basically basically what he said was, you know, you're, you're a traitor is essentially what he said. And frankly, I've been saying that for years. I've yet to figure out how a Jewish person in this day and age in the United States of America could be in the Democrat Party knowing the Democrat Party is against everything you stand for. Right. Well, I mean, you guys, I, I think we all see that. The the Democrats themselves, they are choosing whether we want to admit it or not. I know this is overtly political, but they are choosing to not only turn a blind eye to the squad of four and their anti-Semitism, but they're actually lifting them up. They're celebrating them. They're letting them drive the party. They're letting them be the face of the party. Remember, this is the same Democratic Party in 2012 that you watch the video of the delegates at the Democratic Party delegation actually booing the idea of injecting Israel into the Democratic Party platform. So to me, this is a real problem that the Democratic Party has and Jewish voters have to ask themselves, why in the world do we have an allegiance to the Democratic Party? You know, it's interesting to me, guys, that w watching this in the BDS movement and seeing how popular it's becoming, even among Christians, you see a lot of Christian universities, colleges all across the U.S. are embracing this as well. I have to wonder, Bob, to your point, if we should start referring to it as BDSC, because there's the boycott, diversification, divest rather, the, san uh, the sanctions, and then the celebration. And it's like mm -hmm. if you're not part of the squad saying, hey, we're celebrating all this and this is horrible. And even Jeffrey Lord wrote in The American Spectator about how it, how peculiar it is that Democrats in the House of Representatives are just sitting on their hands. They're just completely quiet right now while this is ha taking place. The fact that they went and said, hey, we can have diplomatic relations with Israel, whether we agree with everything they do or not. These two want to go and make a big spectacle. And where is Nancy Pelosi? You know, right. where, where, is, where, where are these other people stepping up and saying, hey, we have to condemn this? They couldn't even get agreement on a consensus on a resolution with regard to anti-Semitism. You know, it's so interesting, too, because you look around the world. It's not just the Democratic Party. I mean, you guys have seen that over the years, the United Nations resolutions against Israel. Uh, and I know we're going to be getting to this a little bit later on in this podcast hour, uh, talking about some of the spiritual implications of this, but I want to throw out a little bit of a teaser here. Uh, do you know that the United Nations has declared over the last few years the number one persecutor of human rights in the entire world, uh, not North Korea, uh, not China with their forced abortion policies, uh, no Middle Eastern nation, okay, that, that nations under Sharia law actually executing homosexuals. No, Israel, the number one persecutor of human rights in the world, according to the United Nations. I mean, it really is incredible, the anti-Israel sentiment, guys, that, that we continue to see, not just from the Democratic Party, but many places around the world. And I would argue that that does have spiritual implications. Like I say, we're going to get to that in just a little bit as we continue through this Crawford Broadcasting Roundtable uh, and talking about all things Israel, the United States, and the body of Christ. Right now, though, I want to tell you folks very quickly about Steve Gregg and the narrow path. You know, it's so important as believers that we stand on the truth of God's Word and that we recognize the authority of Scripture. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Steve Gregg and his show, The Narrow Path. The Narrow Path, of course, acknowledging that there is one narrow path to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. 
And you know what you can do, folks, is just tune into The Narrow Path with Steve Gregg. And it's broadcast one hour and it's all around the country. And what you can do is go to thenarrowpath.com and that way you can see where it's playing maybe in your area. Listen to the show. But Steve Gregg is a tremendous Christian apologist. He's spent over four decades now studying and teaching the Bible. And they've got tons of free links and resources. And again, it's all free. You can contact Steve directly as well. It's steve at thenarrowpath.com. You can call in during his live show. But support the ministry by going to thenarrowpath.com. Just click on the donations tab right there. And as we talk about uh, Israel and standing on the truth and the Word of God, and we recognize the need to support Israel— as we continue this roundtable discussion with Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, uh, John Rush, and myself, Bob Duco, guys, I want to ask you about the the support of the United States geopolitically with Israel, because I do think it's important that the United States, as a government, stands behind this country. Before we get to the spiritual side of this, it seems to me that we need to recognize. This is the closest thing to a United States-style democracy in the Middle East. They're our closest ally in the Middle East. And why in the world we would have any U.S. political party turning its back on Israel for the life of me uh, doesn't make any sense. Bob, it's Roger here and uh, Roger Marsh from KBRT in Southern California. And the the reason that I think that your statement is so very, very uh, powerful is the fact that we can see this plain as day. Uh, we saw eight years of the previous administration where they did everything they could to undermine U.S.-Israeli relations. And you could tell they were strained. And you've had conversations with Israeli diplomats. I have, too, visiting the Israeli consulate in Los Angeles often. And they were very, very polite, but it was really tight-lipped. You could totally tell. And w- you see the synergy between American democracy, the Israeli form of government, uh, and, and you see that ha- a small piece of real estate, what is it, less than the size of the state of New Jersey, right. is having a huge impact. They've got targets on them constantly. And yet, of course, the media's response is always, Israel's firing missiles at Syria. Israel's firing, instead of saying, wait, here's what really happened here. We can see it and from a political standpoint. I think there are enough members in Congress now that see it. The recent example with Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar is kind of a, a blip in the radar, I mean, in terms of what's really going on. And yet, this is the great divide that we're trying to counter here with the National Crawford Roundtable and the four of us getting together each week on this podcast is is having a conversation that says, look, this is really plain as day. And you can see the relief, the exultation in uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's face when the movement was made to move the embassy you know, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and say mm-hmm. this is the right place to be. You can just, you can sense it. You can feel it. And and there's something about, there's kind of this shalom that happens when you see the U.S. and Israel really working together as allies. Right. So geopolitically, it makes perfect. I mean, we'll get the spiritual part too, but the geopolitical sense, I think that puts smiles on faces everywhere and not just because it's politically expedient. It's tough for Netanyahu to have us as an ally sometimes. Yeah, it is. I mean, John and Neil, I mean, your thoughts on uh, on just the significance of the alliance between Israel and the United States. because Israel needs to know they can depend on the United States to have their back. I think that this is critical. They're in a very dangerous position. Iran doesn't think that they should even exist. From KLZ in Denver. And no, Bob, you're 100% correct. I've been to Israel before on, you know, tours and, and have, you know, just experienced the land firsthand. And, and I will tell you that it is, and we all know this, it is the peace 
peacekeeping country in the entire Middle East and frankly, probably part of Africa and Europe if you really want to get down to it. I mean, they they really are our peacekeepers over there. It's like having, you know, us on Hawaii in, in guarding the Pacific. Literally, they are our eyes, ears, and, and, and feet, if you would. They're the ones that are really keeping the peace in the Middle East. So, you know, aside from all of the religious things, you know, that we'll get into in theology, we'll get into later, when it comes to just the physicality of things and what they do in that entire area, and they're a dot on the map, literally, and if you look at them in relation to the rest of the countries, which tells you, frankly, I believe, you know, God's hand is very much upon them, very much like it is here in the United States, for them to be able to keep the peace with the size of country that they are. Granted, it's because of our support of that, and we need to continue on with that. So frankly, we can keep the peace there, and it's not that peaceful at times, but without them, what would it look like? Right. Oh, I know. I, I mean, Neil, we, we see this all the time that Israel is under constant threat uh, from the world. They're this little country, no bigger than New Jersey, and here they are surrounded by a whole bunch of hostile nations that don't think they have a right to exist and missiles being lobbed into Israel on a regular basis. They are in a very, very dangerous position. There's no question about it. And I obviously, we're going to talk more about the spiritual a little bit later on, but I think it's clear that God's word indicates that Israel's greatest protector is not the United States, it's God. And yet, um, as a nation that loves and honors the Lord, uh, founded upon, you know, the word of God and his principles, I think it's important that we defend life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness wherever that can be found. And certainly Israel is a democratic ally. I think we have no choice but to support Israel. Right, we do. Well, and it breaks your heart to see so many in this country turning their back on them. And, and, and I am kind of curious, so why do you think that is? I, I mean, aside from the spiritual aspect of that, which we'll get to in just a little bit, we mentioned the Democrats earlier. Why in the world are so many liberals, so many Democrats in this country, why would they be against Israel? Why, why do they look at the Palestinians and the Israelis, and not that Israel's perfect, we know that they're not, okay, but why? What causes somebody to look at those two and the default is to sympathize with the Palestinians when the Palestinians are ruled by Hamas and Hezbollah and, and these rockets being fired into Israel? What in the world is – what is the logical reason that people, at least in America, would be uh, against Israel? That just – it just blows my mind. I don't, Bob, I don't know if, if John or Roger, you know, want to – respond directly to what you're saying, but let me just say I love the question yeah, Neil. because it's a question It's a question that I have. I mean, other than the fact that we know um, about the spiritual implication of the fact that, that uh, you know, the Jews are God's chosen people, how, like how do we separate that out from the conversation? It's really actually kind of hard to do. I've, I've been asking myself that, you know, in preparation for this conversation. How in the world do we understand Israel apart from the fact that it's uh, it was the nation created by God, you know, in a place for the Jews to live mm -hmm. uh, and for him to be celebrated. Anyway, apart from that, let's just, let's separate that out for a second. I would like to hear before the break, maybe, like, on what basis we would support Israel just uh, in terms of a sovereign nation. Uh, so that's the question, you know, as a sovereign nation or a democratic state, uh, what, what are the reasons and maybe we can get into that at some point in the second half, I guess. But it's mm -hmm. an interesting conversation. I've certainly been fascinated listening to what you guys have to say about this. But um, I want to take just a second here to thank one of our 
programming partners that has been such a great blessing to us. And, you know, so many people have been told how much they've grown through the teaching ministry of Pastor Alistair Begg on Truth For Life and what an impact this ministry has made over the years. Alistair Begg, with his unmistakable voice, uh, faithfully proclaims God's truth each day so lives like yours and mine can be transformed. And here at the Crawford Broadcasting Company, we value the great partnership that we share with Truth For Life and we we want to make sure that their broadcast can continue on our stations for years to come. So if you enjoy studying God's word verse by verse each day with Alistair Begg, then you should seriously consider sending Truth For Life a gift of support. And if you want to make a donation today, just visit truthforlife.org. That's truthforlife.org. Or you can call 888-588-7884. That's 888-588-7884. And be sure to let them know which Crawford Broadcasting Company station you listen to each day or that you listen to this NCR podcast. And with that in mind, let me just kind of rephrase what I was saying earlier. The idea that, I, you know, as as I'm sure that a lot of the folks listening to this program are Bible-believing Christians, perhaps not all for sure, but uh, many coming from a conservative point of view, a Christian point of view, uh, help us understand, apart from the fact that um, that Israel is – you know, the place where God's chosen people are to live, um, help us understand uh, in terms of politics and uh, government, why, and the geopolitical reasons, why we should be supporting Israel. I'd love to hear it from your perspective, because I was having a hard time wrapping my brain around it, other than the military, you know, it's it's a strategic military point, halfway mm-hmm. between, you know, Europe and, and uh, Africa and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's dive into that, guys. I mean, John and Roger, what is the geopolitical case for the United States continuing to support Israel? Well, and, and again, and and this is John and and Neil appreciate everything you said, and Bob likewise, and and I think again, taking the spirituality out of this, let's you know, take. I know it's hard to take the Bible, Neil. You're right; hmm. it's hard to take the Bible <laughs> and the fact that it is the promised land. Yeah, good job, John. God. Hey, yeah, let's just dismiss the Bible. For, <laughs> let, let, let's take the spirit. Let's set all that spiritual yeah. Bible stuff aside. <laughs> but, but you know what? There are people out there that may even listen to this podcast that don't have the understanding biblically of all of what we're talking about. So right. I think it is good to talk about why. Why would we, as a country? support this tiny little nation in the Middle East? And why would we send them the aid that we do, you know, not just in dollars and cents, but even in intelligence? You know, why do we partner with them? Because that's really what we are. And we talk about allies. We're their partner and, and we help them and they help us. And a lot of things go back and forth. You know, why would we do that? And, and honestly, guys, not, not again, taking the biblical side of it out, they are our ally. Right. They do keep the peace. They are very much like-minded like us when it comes to how they treat their people, the structure of government that they have, the foreign aid that they even give to other countries. You know, they are much like us in the fact that they give to other countries and help others out despite what the world may think. I know the world thinks that they're this, this monster over there and the only way they keep peace is with their, their strong arm, you know, missiles, bombs and so on. And in fact, the matter is that's not the case. They don't fire until fired upon. Right. They, they only retaliate. They've never been aggressive in that manner whatsoever. And if you look back through history and look at the things that they've done and what they've accomplished, again, to keep the peace in the Middle East, which, by the way, we, we all know needs to be done. As I said earlier, take them out of the equation 
And what does that entire other side of the world look like? And tell, and I'm going to tell you guys, it looks completely different than it does today. So the number one reason we need to be partnering with them, aside from the biblical side of the fence, is just a simple matter of keeping the peace in the Middle East. If we don't support Israel, all of that goes away. Yeah. I mean, Roger, I think John makes a great point. Yeah, he certainly does. And I wanted to follow up on that because in the attack aggressor mode that we often see represented in the media, there are in fact times when Israel does make the first move, but the first move is always preemptive. You know, there's a weapon cache coming in from Iran or something like that, and, and Israeli forces will take it out. The media just jumps on it. And, and guys, we have to realize we are purposing here at National Crawford Roundtable to answer rhetorical questions. I mean, there are a lot of things you were putting out there and then digging deeper. We're living in a culture right now that doesn't want to do that. They really don't. They just give me the CNN feed, give me whatever meme you can put up on Instagram, and that's how I'm forming my worldview. I think back to Neil's point, that that's how people are trying to answer these questions is very, very quickly. I see rockets coming in, Israel's name's on it, boom, that's the end of discussion. And here we, we've killed a half an hour so far. We're barely scratching the surface on how important this is. Geopolitically, you know, the strategic place where they are in the Middle East, the, the small amounts of real estate that they take up and the, the concessions that they've made, I mean, working toward a two-state solution, you would think diplomatically that this would be very, very appealing to progressives. And yet the progressive mantra is usually low-hanging fruit, easiest meme to remember, Saul Alinsky 101, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge concern for us in, in the Western culture, especially as Christians, but also as Americans mm-hmm. to look at this and say, you know, we can see, we can see the faith component, but even if you aren't a Christian and there are a growing number of people who don't have any religious affiliation, we really need to make the case for Israel politically as well as spiritually now more than ever. Yeah. No, I mean, Roger, yeah, I think and, you make a, real, a great point. Yeah, go ahead. That, that I don't think most people are aware of. And it's things I think we need to teach people even outside of the, out of Christendom is the international aid and the things that Israel does to help other countries. For example, Katrina, they came here mm, yeah. and helped us. When there was the earthquake in Japan, they were there. When, when the earthquake hit Haiti, there was a 200-strong relief member team from Israel going to these other countries helping. And part of that is because Israel knows devastation probably as well as any other country does. They know exactly what to do to go into the front lines and help other people. And, and you know, do you hear that coming from Iraq or Iran or Egypt or Saudi Arabia? The reality is no. You hear that coming from this little country called Israel. Yeah, so true. You know, and to what Neil was saying earlier, let's, if you do remove the Bible and the, the spiritual aspect of this, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Let's pretend we weren't even Christians. Let's pretend there was not even an issue of Israel being God's chosen people and, and the spiritual aspect of this, whatever. And we strictly look at this in a geopolitical way. How is it not in our interest to have a strong ally in the Middle East with the only democracy, the only actual democracy that functions inside the Middle East. Why would we not want to have that kind of foothold? Why would we not want to have that kind of relationship uh, to have that access there? Not to mention, you add to that, Israel being as oppressed as they are, as I mentioned before, they're surrounded by a couple of dozen hostile nations that say they don't even have a right to exist. The number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world is Iran. And it's Iran that 
feeds their missiles and rockets to Hamas and Hezbollah so they can fire them into Israel on a, on a regular basis. I mean, just for strictly humanitarian grounds, to, to take a country like that that's surrounded by hostile enemies trying to remove them from the map, we have to come to their aid and to their assistance. Add to that that you're right. that They don't provoke any of this stuff. If they're left alone, they leave people alone. And when they're attacked, they counterattack. Uh, they're fighting for their survival. Uh, I would argue if you remove the spiritual aspect of this, there's no way in the world the United States should not be geopolitically supporting and allying with Israel. By the way, I, used, I love the way you used a double negative there. You like Thank that? You there's no I way we them. should not. There you go. Right. <laughs> It's a great way to read because your brain goes. Like, well, you know, hey, it, look, I, I, some people are redundant and some people repeat themselves. Uh, <laughs> I agree with both. So, you know, and, and Bob, everything you just said is, is so is so true. And, and I think again, not that we want to take the Bible out of things, but when we start talking around a water cooler and we start talking to people that may not have any faith at all, and, and we're trying to you know fight for the fact that we need to be supportive of what Israel's doing, we have and folks, we have to have other means to fight that besides just saying. Well, the Bible says, because no offense, when you're talking to a person that doesn't even believe the Bible's true, that really doesn't help us out much. Right. No, it's it's an excellent point. And we do need to talk about the spiritual implications of this, too. So, yeah, that is so true. And so when we look geopolitically at what's going on with Israel, it just, to me, makes perfect sense that the United States must continue to be behind this nation. And Israel needs to know that the United States has their back too, quite frankly, because when we look at uh, the danger that they're facing, uh, it's one of the things I think Israel realizes that if the United States is our big brother that we can depend on, it's going to give them a lot more security. When the United States starts getting weak in our support for Israel, I think understandably the people over uh, in Israel start getting a little bit nervous, and that makes perfect sense. We're going to continue this discussion on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with John Rush of Rush to Reason in Denver, uh, Roger Marsh of The Bottom Line in Southern California, Neil Boron of Neil Boron Live in Buffalo, New York, myself, Bob Duco from Detroit. We're going to continue this for the second half hour of this discussion. We're going to move into the spiritual issues and implications of this. We're also going to talk about the move of Jews, not just in Israel, but around the world, accepting Jesus Christ. So if you want to listen to the second half of this discussion of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, here's what you do. Get it at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. You can find it online also at CrawfordBroadcasting.com. So as we talk about Israel, uh, we've talked about, guys, the geopolitical. We've talked about certainly the the political things going on with Rashida Tlaib and with uh, Ilhan Omar and such. But let's shift the discussion to the spiritual side of this. Uh, I look at Israel and I think to myself, if you're an atheist, you have to be asking yourself, how can it be – that this tiny little strip of land, as we mentioned, no bigger than New Jersey, is the epicenter of all this kind of worldwide strife and angst and these big bullseyes on it. That doesn't make any sense in the natural. There's got to be something, guys, supernatural going on here with the attacks and the hatred that's leveled at Israel. No question, John. John, Well said. And, And again, anybody that's been to Israel and hears any of the stories 
even over the years of some of the wars that they have fought, the Six-Day War, for example, in 1967, if you talk to any of the Israelis that were actually in that war, and they tell you about some of the things that happened that, that honestly were miraculous. I mean, things that, that literally saved them that they have no explanation for other than, you know, God's hand upon them. Is, even as an atheist, it would be really hard to listen to those stories and say, wait a minute, there is something bigger going on here than, 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 what, than what the rest of us really look at. Yeah, and I, I remember looking at, you know, watching TV during the first Gulf War, and you remember the Scud missiles that were being lobbed in from mm-hmm. uh, Iraq and other places and oh, just yeah. wondering how, how in the world those things weren't landing, uh, you know, in more devastating ways. I mean, but in any case, the hand of God and the protection that he's placed on Israel over the years has been evident. And I personally think that part of the reason – uh, the West is hated in the minds of some and Israel is hated is because of our connection to God and our love for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we both share. You know, that seems to be a really important part of this. Uh, we know that a darkened world hates anything that God loves. And we see in Scripture that, let's face it, God's love for Israel is very real, his covenant that he's established with Israel. And so, to me, in a spiritual sense, it makes sense that a darkened world would hate Israel. And maybe they don't even know why they hate Israel. They just look at Israel and they feel this sense of of hatred. But that's what I would expect if you have people that don't know Christ and don't have Christ, that they would look at something that God loves and just have an almost Pavlovian negative response toward it. And I think that's what we see all the time. Go ahead. Oh, this is Roger from yeah. uh, California. I, Bob, as you were mentioning that, I was thinking about, you know, we're talking the, about the spiritual significance. You know, should Christians be supporting Israel spiritually? And, and how could we not? You know, kind of the double negative once again. But I realized that, you know, even the smallest spark of light will overcome darkness. And I wonder how many people who are professing Christians, professing Jews, even in this culture, um, are looking at Israel purely politically because the spiritual relationship that they think they have with God isn't real, or it's not solid, it's not strong. Uh, How could someone who's a a completely born-again, life-transformed, washed-in-the-blood believer look at Israel and not see God's hand all over that country, that, that nation, that system? And yet, how many people in our culture today are professing Christians? What is it? 70% of Americans say they believe in God. I mean, even with the decline in denominational attendance at churches, there's still an overwhelming majority of Americans profess faith in Christ. Not saying this should be a litmus test, but perhaps it is a litmus test of sorts. Right. Well, I I think it's a fair question for, for people to ask themselves that they profess to be a believer in Christ and you hate Israel or you have negative views of Israel, what's driving that? I mean, why is that? Is it because you're expecting perfection from them? That doesn't make sense because guess what? We're all God's children and we're certainly not perfect. So do you hate us? I don't think you should. So we're going to hate Israel because they're flawed as well? No, there's got to be a spiritual reason behind it. Well, and and Bob, I think a lot of this, John, I think a lot of it is – uh, like anything else, lack of education, lack of education in the pulpit, lack of education in, in letting people understand that, you know, our Judean Christian roots are are just that. They come from the Jews. And I think most Christians that aren't aware of what we're talking about just have not been schooled or educated in the fact that had it not been for the, for Christ, who everybody forgets, was not this white, you know, was not the <laughs> white guy. Wait, he wasn't Brad Pitt? Guy. He wasn't Ted Nugent? Right. 
Bruce Marciano. That's who he is. Bruce Marciano. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> Christ was Christ was as much a Jew as I am a, a white Anglo-American. I mean, the reality right. is he was Jew through and through. And there's times where I feel like we in the United States and, and especially we in the church tend to tend to whitenize, if you would, Christ. We tend to make him this white guy. And the reality is he wasn't. In fact, all of our faith, everything that we now have as far as salvation is concerned, came through, you know, through the Jewish nation. And and, and we need to remember that. And, and that's the part of this that is hard to explain to the rest of the world who has no belief in Christ or belief in God at all. But the reality for us as Christians is we have to realize that our foundation of our faith comes from the Jews. Right. Boy, that is such an important point, which makes you wonder about the anti-Semitism that goes on around the world as well, because you're so right. Jesus was not some white guy. Okay. Jesus was, uh, Jesus was Jewish. And it, you know, it, to me, it just really exposes the absurdity even of anti-Semitism and, and racism in general, quite frankly. Uh, we get to heaven and they're like, really? We were making such a big issue out of the melanin levels in people's skin when, right. <laughs> when, uh, when really oh, we're all made in the image and likeness of God. That's right. You know, let me throw in something else. I'm listening to you guys talk, and I'm fascinated by your knowledge and understanding of what's going on in that part of the world. And um, I tend to ask a lot of rhetorical questions, uh, not only of my listening audience, but of myself. And, um, you know, one thing that, that occurred to me was obviously there's a, a love in the heart of most believers, I think, for Israel because Jesus was a Jew. It's all everything you just explained, and I get that. But on the other hand, just because uh, Israel exists and the Jewish people, many Jewish people live there and many are returning to the homeland um, and they're God's chosen people doesn't mean that they believe in Jesus. And I know that the idea of talking about messianic Judaism is going to come up, but you know, before I came to faith in Christ, Romans five ten says I was an enemy of God um, and Jews who've yet to recognize Jesus as the Messiah are not only our friends politically, but, they may be enemies of God. And I think that our heart and love for the Jewish people should not just be for their well-being, you know, politically and strategically and all that stuff, but that they would come to know the Messiah um, because that actually stands between us and traditional Jews. You know, mm-hmm. and we, we share we share something deeply in common with anybody who would be a Messianic Jewish believer. But I believe that God's protection of the Jewish people and his blessing upon them is because he loves them and he has chosen them for a specific purpose, none of the least of which is to bring forth the Messiah. But I just wondered, you guys, has it ever crossed your mind that in our love and care for Israel that are, I'm sure it has, by the way, it's also a rhetorical question, (laughs) but I'm just uh, wondering, maybe we can talk about it here in just a couple of minutes, but, um, you know, in, in more depth, but I'm just curious about the idea of reaching Israel and and how much that needs to come into play in our conversation about protecting Israel. Mm-hmm. I think that's a wise, uh, wise observation, Neil, especially when you consider the fact that there are a couple of different layers to a lot of Jews and their Judaism. My author Brock Lurie and I had a conversation about this. He has a book called Atheism Kills, and it's the dangers of a world without God and a cause for hope. And he talked about being an atheist for a season, but his parents still consider him Jewish because they saw their Judaism as cultural. So there's the cultural conversion. And then, of course, there's the spiritual conversion. And I think that that's essential uh, for us to keep in the conversation as we're talking about an issue like should Christians support Israel geopolitically and should we support Israel spiritually? 
You know, as we talk about um, should Christians support Israel spiritually, um, I admire people who are of the Jewish tradition and also people of other who come from areas where different faith expressions are are more common. And when they come to Christ, it's just really remarkable to see what they can do. Uh, it's been more than 30 years since Dr. Michael Youssef uh, realized his dream and founded a global ministry called Leading the Way. And the mission is to equip saints and seek the lost. And having an Egyptian background, an Australian, uh, California education, and now being headquartered in the Southeast, he is literally leading the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Christ. And leading the way is a great partner with Crawford Broadcasting Company stations all across the country. Uh, it's an outreach that begins with the proclamation of God's word. The foundation of his ministry, it's just, it's, it's passionate and it's uncompromising biblical teaching. Leading the way reaches out to help listeners grow in their faith through ongoing discipleship, personal evangelism, and it's a holistic outreach. I mean, it's designed to uh, really not only just effectively reach the lost, but also to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and advance the gospel in today's world. I know they would appreciate your support. I encourage you to go to ltw.org and you can listen to one of Dr. Michael Youssef's many messages. You can find out where they're broadcasting on Crawford Broadcasting Stations all across the country. And if you want to, I mean, now is the time to be all in for the Lord. And Dr. Youssef is fully committed to leveraging everything he has to see all those who are lost come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So go to ltw.org. You can listen to what Dr. Michael Youssef has to say from the pulpit. You can also make a donation there, ltw.org. Um, he's a great voice for speaking into this issue of, you know, the, what, what does it mean to come out of a land that's historically one, you know, culture like Muslim and the Islamic faith and say, hey, now, you know, Christianity is the dominant force in my life too. And, and guys, we're seeing a, a, a growth in that, you know, people who are Jewish who are kind of identifying more on the messianic side of the equation. They are. And it's an important point, Roger, that you make too, because uh, it is true that in Israel, most Jews in Israel tend to be what would be described as secular Jews. Uh, there are a lot of them that are more orthodox, but there is this growing movement of Messianic Judaism in Israel as well as around the world. And let's be honest, Jesus, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, if he who does not have the Son does not have the Father, he was speaking to Jews. He came to the Jew first and then the mm -hmm. Gentiles. So uh, while uh, certainly Israel is God's chosen people, that doesn't mean that they don't need to accept Yeshua, Jesus, as Messiah and be forgiven of their sins. And, and this is a movement I think we need to be supporting and encouraging. And I, I, I see God moving in a powerful way among the Jewish people. I agree with you 100%. And uh, I don't mean to belabor the point, but I, I mean, it, it, when I was thinking about that earlier, um, that there's there's almost a glamorization. I think I used the term before, but uh, of the idea that well, hey, Israel is the home of God's chosen people, so let's just support them. But let's also pray for the salvation of the Jewish people in Israel or Amen. wherever they may be in the world, because apart from Christ, they're lost forever. They may be our allies politically, but uh, like you and I, before faith in Christ, enemies of God spiritually. And that, that's like a hard word because it, it almost seems like I'm saying something against Israel. I'm not. I'm saying something pro-Jesus, that he came to seek and to save the lost, and all of us are lost until we come to know him. So anyway, mm -hmm. it's a point I wanted to make and something that was kind of rolling around my brain when I knew we'd be talking about this. Isn't there a perception, though, that, and it seems to exist so strong, that if you're Jewish, 
and you accept Jesus, Yeshua, as Messiah, that somehow you stop being a Jew, and now you're Christian, so Jew and Christian are like oil and water. You can't mix the two. And I'm thinking, wait a minute here. If a Jew accepts Jesus, they are now a completed Jew. It's not like they stop being a Jew. It's just they're now forgiven of their sins. They're washed clean, and they've fully completed what Jesus called them to do. I've always argued that uh, a Jew accepting Jesus as Messiah is about the most Jewish thing that they can do. Last time I checked, Jesus' disciples didn't stop being Jews. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Well said. I um, I actually had a friend in college who it was a young woman from Long Island uh, who came to Boston University where I was studying, accepted Christ through a ministry called The Navigators. Some of you are probably familiar with it, and began to grow in her relationship with Christ. But her parents actually came and essentially abducted her from school to take her home to have her, you know, deprogrammed, believing that she had gotten involved in a cult. Others in, in other parts of the world, uh, including here in the U.S., have experienced almost um, a sense where the, the family has considered them dead to the family because they mm-hmm. dared to believe in Jesus. And yet, Bob, I agree with you 100 percent that a Jew who's put their faith in Christ is, in fact, a completed Jew. Right. Neil, to your point, and I guess if you had a chance to have a conversation with Jonathan Burnus from Jewish Voice Ministries, uh, Jonathan has a testimony very similar to what uh, Neil was talking about, how he became a Christian in college. And when he came home from school and shared with his parents what he'd found, they literally took him to a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and they put him in therapy because they thought there was something wrong with him. It was just, it was so bad. And Jonathan wrote a book that really kind of turned my eyes open to the severity of my lack of our Jewish heritage and knowledge thereof is called a rabbi looks at Jesus of Nazareth and just, you know, pointing out all of these issues, not to try to sell Jonathan's book, but, but rather the idea that there are many people in the body of Christ who look at, you know, this and say, okay, you're right. To to Neil's point, as long as the U S stands with Israel politically, we're good instead of realizing that it's not just a political issue, quite the you know contrary, we want to see that political alliance still stay strong. But also, I mean, when it comes to faith in Christ, I mean, the people that we know who are Jewish will kind of tolerate us to a certain extent, but they won't, you know, they won't bend the knee now, they're going to bend the knee later. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, when, um, when I'll go ahead. I was going to say on a side note, I think we all need therapy too, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> well, stand in line for that one, pal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's interesting when, when uh, Roger, when you're talking about uh, uh, Jews and, and accepting Jesus, and to the point that I was saying earlier about this perception that Jew and Christian, oh, they're incompatible somehow and they're really not. There are a lot of Messianic Jews who will tend to keep a lot of the the Jewish customs and traditions. You know, they'll be uh-huh. Sabbatarians. They'll still uh, keep the feasts. They'll uh, still follow the dietary rules and such. But these Messianic Jews will tell you they don't do that because they are placing themselves under the law and they feel that that's necessary for the atonement of their sins. They do that because of a, a culture and a heritage and a, and a history and a connectedness to their Judaism. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with doing those in a traditional sense, but, but I would have a concern if any Messianic Jews were doing it because they still found it necessary for their salvation atonement of sins. Then, then that's theologically wrong. 
You're, that's a great point. We have a messianic uh, pastor on our uh, staff with us. He's retired and he's part time and he does the the visitations for our, the elderly in our congregation and also teaches a couple of Bible studies. So whenever we want to do a Bible study on Old Testament, we say, "Hey, Pastor Ron, this is right up your alley." Yeah. But but every year uh, during uh, the, the holy season uh, leading up to Easter, he does Passover seder's and he does a, a Passover seder presentation called Jesus and the Passover. And what he does is go through a traditional Passover, but then says, okay, here's the reason the Jews celebrate the Passover. Here's how Jesus fulfilled everything. And mm -hmm. it's a couple of hours where we go through the entire meal. It's, it's so encouraging to see, you know, he really is completed, as they used to say, or messianic, but it helps those in who grew up, you know, in our denomination of the Lutheran church to see, the, you know, that Jesus is in the Old Testament as well as in the New. Yeah. Well said, Neil. And, and if you've ever had a chance to, if you've never had it, as I should say, you should, because it's a, it's a really, really, as a Christian, it's a really cool thing. And, uh, and, and every, by the way, everything you guys have said, I, I fully agree with uh, Bob, to your point, you know, the probably ultimate thing that a, a Jewish person could do would be to accept Christ and complete his own lineage, if you would. Right. And, and I think well said, I, I don't know that I've ever heard it said quite like that. And, and I appreciate you saying so. And, and again, that's the, you know, that's sort of the, the Christian discussion in all of this outside of why we as a country should actually, you know, you know, give them the protection and the things that we do. You know, one of the other things too, guys, that, that I would like to just throw out there too, which I know we're talking about, you know, the, the Jews and, and, you know, do they need salvation? Of course they do. No one comes to the father except by me. I mean, I understand all that, but have you guys ever thought about the great inventions and the things that have come out of God's chosen people? And in a way, I shouldn't say in a way without them, you have to ask the question, would even all of us be here today? For example, example, nuclear weapons that ended, you know, the war. I mean, would would be here today without them? Speaking of all of this, one of the leaders when it comes to this particular topic that we've talked about for years is, is Dr. James Dobson. If you've never heard any of his commentaries or his program, and I, I can remember even as a young person, you know, listening to them on the radio, Adventures in Odyssey and all of that. But Dr. James Dobson, he left a successful career in academia more than four decades ago. Since then, he's devoted himself fully to preserving and promoting the institution of the biblical family in America. With a PhD in the field of child development after 14 years as an associate clinical professor of pediatrics, and after holding a position on the attending staff of Children's Hospital of Los Angeles for 17 years, he could have continued his prestigious career in research instead he felt God calling him to address the rapid deterioration of the family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson has spanned more than four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame and the Winston Churchill Lifetime Achievement Award. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through family talk. And to listen to that every weekday, go to drjamesdobson.org. That's drjamesdobson.org and reference the Crawford Broadcast, which we're doing right now with the Crawford Podcast, National Crawford Roundtable, when asked how you found Family Talk. So again, guys, there is a champion in a lot of the things that we're actually talking about when it comes to even the Jewish nation. And, and you can learn even a lot of what we're talking about through Dr. Dobson and the program he puts out. That's a tremendous program that he does, no doubt. And so uh, in a sense then, as we kind of work our way toward the end of this, 
We need to recognize, yeah, there's geopolitical realities regarding the United States and Israel. Uh, there's a lot of strategic reasons we need to be supporting them. There are spiritual reasons we need to be supporting them. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we want Jesus Christ to be glorified. And uh, exalting him, one of the best ways to do that is to bring people to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. And this is why it's so important for us to uh, to, to not only shine the light of Christ here, but to pray for Israel that they would come, that this that, that this messianic Jewish movement would continue to grow. But you know, guys, and you know this all too well, this is considered extremely politically incorrect. Oh, you're trying to change somebody's religion. You're trying to proselytize. You're trying to turn Jews into Christians. And a darkened world sees that as an offensive thing. But that's actually what Jesus Christ himself was doing, trying to bring the Jewish people to him uh, and then to the Gentiles. So we need to recognize this is going to be extremely unpopular and we're going to be hated for trying to convince Jews to accept Yeshua, Jesus, and certainly Jews themselves who are messianic. They're getting hammered by their friends, by their family, by their community as doing something horrible and evil. But that's the perspective of people that are in the darkness. You're 100% right, Bob. And by the way, um, that's probably why they hung him on a cross. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from the part that it was yeah. God's plan. So I think we can expect some of the same kind of thing. But let me just throw a monkey wrench in just for right. a second. I mean, you guys um, may disown me after this. I'm not sure. But what about holding Israel accountable at all? And like, for instance, if we're giving a ton of you know financial support, military support, uh, in many cases, spiritual support, do, should we have a voice in things that that are not consistent with who Jesus is? For instance, should we care about uh, the abortion issue in Israel, gay rights issue in Israel? Or and it goes back to the to the word I mentioned earlier, the glamorization of Israel in the minds of like Western Christians. And I love Israel and I support Israel and I believe our nation should support Israel. But just like Jesus, the one we're talking about, sometimes got after people for caring more about the speck in their eye, uh, you know, than the log, uh, the, the speck in someone else's eye than the log that existed in their own. What about the accountability factor? And, and as believers who know and love Israel, should should our prayer of concern be for their well-being in those areas as well, or just, you know, the military and political partnership? Now, forget it. We just made you Joy Behar. Well, he did bring up the therapy thing. Right? <laughs> oh, that is true. That you know, Actually, I think that is a really good point, and, and that is a fair point. Uh, God holds his people accountable. Jesus uh, certainly rebuked those, even followers of his, uh, who were doing things that were wrong. And I don't think there's anything wrong whatsoever with us, not only geopolitically, but spiritually as well calling Israel to account uh, for their shortcomings. I, I think you can do uh, – we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can do that. Right. We, we can challenge them in areas where we believe that they are wrong while at the same time uh, loving them, praying for them, and encouraging them to come to Yeshua, Jesus' as Messiah. Bob, I just want to jump in real quick and say one of the greatest gifts I think Christians can bring to the conversation, to the marketplace of ideas these days, is cognitive dissonance. Being able to hold two opinions like that to say, yes, we are loving and praying for the well-being of Israel on a spiritual level, on a political level. At the same time, part of that love is just as God disciplines his children. I mean, you see it in Hebrews, you see it in Proverbs. If he didn't Amen. love 
wouldn't discipline us. So the fact that we want to be loving Christians toward those in the Jewish community with the hope one day that God will call them into the faith, the the idea here that we wouldn't, you know, we just kind of turn a blind eye to gay rights in Israel and gay rights parades or whatever it is, you know, one issue, uh, it, it really isn't terribly loving on our part. Right. I agree. Uh, but it, it, a cognitive dissonance, that's the word I'm going to take away from this conversation. I appreciate that. Whoever brought that up. Who was that? It was Roger. Oh, hey, I should have known. Roger's the smartest among us. Yeah, he's, sure. he's, he's the brainiac. We're all uh, we're all in his shadow. That's it. You know, I can't <laughs> not be the first guy. I don't know. Yeah, well, this is true. Uh, one of the other things as well we got to keep in mind is we have no idea what the Holy Spirit may be doing in Israel and throughout the Middle East. And this is a little bit off topic, the Muslim issue, but I want to kind of bring that into to this equation. I was interviewing a, a Muslim missionary. This is a, a former Muslim who's now a Christian, works in the Middle East, and spends a lot of time kind of in the underground church over in Muslim nations. And he was telling me that in all of the Muslims that he worked, former Muslims that are now Christians that he works with, he was telling me how they came to the Lord. And he said it wasn't through missionaries or, or people witnessing to them. He said that on average, about 60% of every former Muslim who's now a Christian that he's met and worked with in the Middle East came to Jesus through a dream or a vision where Jesus right. appeared to them in a dream or a vision and revealed the truth of who he was. And then I was interviewing another missionary that works in the Middle East with uh, former Muslims and she told me exactly the same thing because I asked her about that. I said, how common is that? And she says, oh, she says, it's easily more than half of the former Muslims I work with say that Jesus, Isa, appeared to them in a dream or a vision and revealed the truth of who he was. So the Holy Spirit is moving in powerful ways that we don't necessarily know about. And you got to wonder how much, if the Holy Spirit is that active throughout the Middle East, how active might the Holy Spirit be or get ready to be working through the rest of Israel, for that matter? So this is... This is something that uh, I think as believers we need to continue, obviously, to pray for. Let's recognize the need for America to stand behind Israel geopolitically. Let's recognize the need for the body of Christ to stand spiritually behind Israel as well and lift them up. Let's recognize the need to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ who are Jewish and are going through all kinds of persecution for that. And we can do this while not putting on blinders to the to the warts that sometimes exists with Israel as it does with all of us. Folks, you've been listening to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with myself, Bob Duco, out of Detroit, John Rush, out of Rush to Reason from Denver, Roger Marsh, the bottom line, Southern California, Neil Boron from Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. And we'll be with you as we take another issue and hot topic and dive into it. And gentlemen, it's been great to spend the hour with you. Thank Thanks, you. Bob. Always a pleasure. And folks, check out the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, everybody, every week. And on behalf of John and Roger and Neil and myself, God bless you, everybody. You've been listening to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, a view of today's culture through a biblical lens. Thank you for joining us. You can download this podcast from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it is available at CrawfordBroadcasting.com. 
Be sure to watch for the next notification on your National Crawford Roundtable podcast app for when the next weekly edition is ready for you to hear. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production.